0: Love Talk
1: Radio, Hello.
2: Good evening and welcome to another edition of Fighting Words on the Fighting Words News Network. I'm sorry, uh, sports tonight on the Fighting Words News Network. Uh, Fighting Words is brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women police fire services, the doctors and nurses and everybody on the first line of defense against COVID, and its wonderful people at the supermarket that have kept us happy and fit during this whole whole pandemic uh, problem. Uh, tonight's show was, was um, very is loaded with a lot of great people, uh, a diverse uh, um, ca- cast of characters, and um, I'll let you take it away, Don. All
3: right, let's get it started because uh, Roy's got to be on with us here in just a second. Roy Cummings, uh, of course, uh, everybody knows that Roger Henry is in Atlanta, and down the line you'll have Mike Timczak uh, joining us start from Washington, D.C., but we'll go around the country and talk about a number of different sports, a number of different items. And let's start with you, Roy, as we always do in the first half hour. Uh, whether you want to touch on the playoffs or whether you'd like to touch on uh, how well the uh, Buccaneers are playing, I'll let you choose one of the two and go to it.
0: Well, I appreciate that, Don, uh, because I actually have a question for you guys. And I know we're we're not necessarily Philly. We're sort of Philly-based and Philly-centric on this uh, podcast or on this uh, radio show uh anyway so i want to ask you guys a question i think is probably being asked around the philly uh, market these days would the eagles be any better if carson wentz were their quarterback right now or is the feeling in philadelphia that they made the right move at the uh, because carson wentz is playing pretty good football right now for the for the colts -hmm. Colts aren't any better right now uh, record wise than than the eagles the eagles problem Is not necessarily his quarterback position. But, you know, looking at the team the way I've seen it so far, I just wonder would they be any better right now with Carson Wentz, an experienced quarterback, been through the wars, uh, playing some of his best football right now as opposed to Jalen Hurts, who uh, is, you know, still trying to find himself. And I'm I'm a Jalen Hurts fan. I think he's going to be fine in time. But I thought Carson Wentz, uh, I always thought that was a little bit premature moving him. I'm just wondering what you guys think.
4: Roger,
3: I'll let you hit that first. Well,
4: I'll tell you, Roy, it's a good question. I think the uh, Eagles would be in a lot better shape if they had an experienced coach, okay, uh, who brought in some experience uh, on his staff. This is the only coach that's there that ever had any experience, so to speak, was Jeff Stoutland, or is Jeff Stoutland the, the offensive line coach? But the uh, that's that's where most of the people feel. And and the other thing is the lorries are uh, Jeffrey Lory and Howie Roseman are calling the shots, and that's why they don't run. They've got a very talented uh, running back, and they don't really use them that much. And uh, so that's what I think. And, uh, I think that I feel sorry for Jalen Hurts. Because uh, his he's the leading rusher on the team, and uh, I think it's it's really the coaching uh, more than anything.
3: Well, Leroy, I'll just give you a quick answer. I I I think in some cases uh, Hurst would be the better player because he has a little bit more versatility. But the problem is the offensive line. Uh, You know, they they just don't have a good enough offensive line. And you look back at the Dallas Cowboy game, as Roger just indicated. You can't run the ball three times in a game. I mean, that's almost an impossibility to expect to do anything but keep your defense on the field for so long a period of time. So I think the offensive line has been a major problem. The defensive secondary, the deep part of the defensive secondary, the corners and safeties have been a problem. And do I think that they'd be better with Carson Wentz? I think it would be a draw. I really do. I think that. Uh, Carson would maybe not give him quite as much mobility and be much more susceptible to injury. So uh, I think it's 50-50, Roy.
0: That's a good point, Don. You know, the other, another problem the Eagles are having is they can't seem to stop the run very effectively. Uh, exactly. It's pretty easy to run on that team. And, you know, if you can't stop the run defensively, you're always going to be vulnerable and uh, to big plays. And, um, you know, it's, it's proving out. But, yeah, I, I think I'm with you guys. I mean, I just brought it up because I was just kind of scanning the stats today, and and I was interested in how Carson Wentz is doing in in, uh, in Indianapolis, and obviously the team isn't uh, hasn't lit anything on fire yet, but uh, Carson Wentz is playing pretty good football, and I you know I know this is almost naive to think this way in the NFL today, but you know I'm look I've I've long been a fan of of holding on to experienced quarterbacks when you have a young quarterback coming along uh like a Jalen Hurts, you know, don't be afraid to let him spend one, two, even three years playing behind a guy like Carson Wentz. uh keep yourselves uh competitive. Uh and again, in a weak division, very weak division, uh, you know, one or two players can make a big difference for you. You're right. If they'd use the running running game a little bit more outside of Jalen Hurts, that would help them a little bit. Uh I think coaching is an, is certainly an issue there as well. Roger, you made a great point there. I just uh I was just interested in what the, you know, what your feeling was on that. But obviously the biggest thing going right now is uh, major league baseball playoffs. And boy, there, there's some tremendous playoffs going on. You're, you're seeing some blowouts in games, but no blowouts in series. Uh, just when you think the, the Braves are in position to take a commanding three, nothing lead, while all of a sudden Cody Bellinger is back and, uh, hitting the ball in a different way than he used to and making, uh, you know, hitting a, uh, a game winning home run. And, uh, walk-off home run and here you got the Astros coming back and uh, that series is tied 2-2 now it looks like it's going to be Houston up 3-2 the series have been great so far Uh, baseball giving its best uh, here in October which is uh, what we expect and uh, why we love the game.
3: Roger I'll take that one first because uh, from two points of view actually uh, I agree with you Roy that it looked like we were going to have a couple of sweeps in in the second series, uh, the the uh, Red Sox were off to a great start until the eighth, bottom of the eighth inning last night. Uh, and, and Houston was really, really struggling. But they bounced back again tonight. They're up seven right now, and it uh, looks like they're on the way to even the series of 2-2. My only objection, and I'd like to hear what you two fellows have to say about that, I don't think you, I mean, listen, I'm a baseball guy. I am 100% a baseball. I watch more baseball games on different – venues in almost anybody in America, I think. I can't stay till the end. I, a couple of times I turned the giant games off, the giant. I mean, that was a great series. But I can't last four and a half, four hours and 45 minutes. And uh, even last night, as great as it was, uh, once Houston started to score, I turned it off. I mean, it, 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 it just, to me, they're going and going and going and never stopping. Roger?
4: Well Don, I agree because uh last night I thought the uh Astros were were buried and uh and I w- started to go to bed and uh unfortunately I couldn't sleep and I go back and I turn the TV on and they flipped it with that uh, ninth inning when they came back and and won the game and then you know, now you're all charged up now you, I had other reasons not sleeping too but uh, that's the worst thing you can do. And, and you know, it, we've talked about it over many years, that, like, when they get to the World Series and pretty much everything is at night, and in the old days, kids got to see it during the day. They'd rush home from school to see it. I can remember uh, 55, Don Larson's uh, perfect game, okay? I r- rushed home and got to see part of it. So it's it's uh, it's a shame that they have to have everything uh, at night. and uh, But, you know, they want to have the uh, 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 American League Championship Series not necessarily competing except for a short period of time with the National League and vice versa, unless they have the off day.
0: Right? Yeah, I, I like the way they've scheduled it, where you've got a day game and then the night game. The problem is, Um, You know, and they're they're, they're each switching up. I mean, yesterday we got the the, the uh, Dodgers-Braves game in the daytime, and you were able to watch all that if you could, you know, if if you were able to stick around for four-plus hours, as you said, uh, which is not easy. You know, even a game starting at 4 o'clock, you get into the dinner hour you get and things like that, you know, families coming home, things to do, dinner to make, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, You know, and it's it's even hard then to to kind of get through a four-hour game. Um, it's but really they're hard. Making four like. hours,
3: Roy. They're, they're going four forty-five. Four. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of time they're spending.
0: No, I know you're absolutely right. And, uh, it's, I think it's a bit of an issue and, you know, it's amazing how the more baseball tries to speed up the game, it seems like the more they slow it down. And, um, you know, and I look, I don't mind, uh, instant replay. I don't mind the challenges on things. I, I don't, but, uh, I gotta think casual fans do and and I think something has to be done and you know they tried again we go with this rule now about you know uh, relief pitchers have to face three batters and things like that, yet it's still you know it's still an issue of games going long, and the reason they're going long is because the pitching just isn't that exceptionally good most of, in particular the starting pitching isn't that good you're you're getting guys you know who are getting you know, beat up in the first inning and a half, two, three, four innings. Uh, Next thing you know, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're parading, you know, five, six, seven pitchers out there. Uh, That takes time. And when there's this much offense, uh, games are going to take a, take a long time. Um, It would be nice if we could see somebody pitch a, you know, an eight, eight inning, uh, five hit, uh, you know, one run uh, game or shutout or something and see a couple of pitchers duels and see him go quickly i I don't want to sound like you know my grandfather here complaining about all this stuff, but <laughs> you're right if you if you if you can't stay up till midnight or later, which I did last night watching the the game uh you know it's um you you're gonna miss something, and this is the time of year when when you shouldn't be missing any of it if you're a baseball fan at all, you want to see it all and uh like i said even even games that are starting at four o'clock in the afternoon. 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It's hard to get through them all because, well, here we are. 7.45. This game started at, uh, at uh, what, uh, 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock. And, uh, he, yeah, here we are, you know, 2 hours, 45. We're going on 3 hours, and we're not done yet.
3: Only on and the top other of the 8. And uh, the other thing is, Roger pointed out, and I have to agree 100%, and I realize it's all about the money because you you can't eliminate the West Coast. You have to make sure that Everybody from Chicago West gets an opportunity to see the, see the games if they start. Uh. And the other thing is, that in, in my view, you're trying to build some type of younger audience. And I don't think with the length of the games, the way they're being played and presented right now, I just don't think you're going to get the younger audience to watch. I mean, there are too many other things that, I mean, you watch one period of hockey, you see more action than you do in four hours of baseball. <laughs> I mean, you've got to have something that's going to bring these young people into the game, and I don't think we have it right now.
0: I agree with you, Don. And you know what, Don? We've done a great great job here, as most people do on topics like this, of of complaining and and pointing out the the problems. Does anybody have a solution? Now, I saw where Buster Olney mentioned something, but it it wasn't in a column. It was just a tweet that he put out there about, you know, Major League Baseball and the Players Association has to – do something about starting pitching, and and I I don't know exactly what he was alluding to. I think he was, in essence, alluding to the fact that, you know, starting pitchers just don't last very long these days. You got more openers and and more bullpen get days than you ever have in the history of the game. And Roy, let me uh, interrupt know, sometimes... for a
3: second because what he's doing is quoting, the world famous, <laughs> uh, representative of players. He came out with a big article. I saw big maybe you saw it. Saying that they're ruining baseball because there are are no starting pitchers that go past three or four innings, and he said, "No way he could represent a a starting pitcher. He's not a starting pitcher. He's a reliever. He's something. They've got no pitching now that goes beyond four or five innings."
0: Well, I agree with that. I I, again, I'm sure I've said this on this air, uh, guys, on our show. I know I've said it, you know, privately and to uh, any other anyone else that. Happens to be around and wants to listen. Uh, look, I miss the days when a starter went six, seven, eight, nine innings. You know, when, right? I, I,
3: I, and and look, nothing
0: nice. has changed. I understand that the money's different, but you know, uh, you know, relatively speaking, the money's not different. When Ferguson Jenkins, you know, completed 36 games in a season in 1972, you know, he was making the same kind of money in essence that Max Scherzer's making now. He was one of the highest. Same with Bob Gibson, and uh, you know. Go down the list of those. Nolan Ryan, I mean, these guys, they might not have been making a million dollars, but they were making, you know, 150000 or whatever it was. And back in 1972, $150,000 was, you know, like a million dollars today. I mean, that's – so it's not – nothing has changed, relatively speaking, in terms of how these guys are being paid, um, I don't think. I'm i am not a math guy, so I might be completely wrong on that. But it doesn't seem to me as if it has. You still value these guys. And, you know, I mean, did, did the Cubs – uh devalue ferguson jenkins did the uh, cardinals devalue uh bob gibson uh, did the tigers devalue uh, uh you know mickey lolich in, in some denny way McLean. That, denny mcclain and guy you know in, in ways the teams are, are are not devaluing pitchers now i don't think so they cared as much about having those guys long term as they could and um i just i i don't think it's a better game the way it is now guys i i'm and and i'd like to see but i don't want to see a rule either that says you have to do this but i i agree with the agent who says there really are no more starting pitchers because they go you know they average what five inning five and two-thirds innings and that's it that's not a, that's maybe not
1: a maybe pitcher. five <laughs> yeah yeah
4: well Roger. I, i'll tell you roy you're 100 percent right and um, I can remember as a kid, and uh, Donald will probably remember this name, Frank will, too. Ted Kazansky was like the first mm-hmm. bonus base that the Phillies had back in the 50s. And he got, as I recall, $100,000. And that was like a huge amount of money then. But if you bring it into present day, what, 60 years later, you're exactly right. I mean, because of the the way what the, the dollar is valued that now versus then, uh, you know, uh, would be x number of million dollars given out as a uh, bonus, just like today. But so, also, Roger, I, the uh, you. analytics.
3: You know, all you do is you see whoever it is that's handling the analytics standing next to the manager, and yes. they don't want anybody to go. First of all right out of the box before the game even starts. They don't want anybody to pitch the third time around in the lineup. That's almost a zero. So in most cases, they'll go in the second, third, fourth inning, and they'll make a decision right there. The next three batters that are coming up, the pitcher that's on the mound right now is not necessarily analytically the guy we want in there, so we take him out. I mean, that's what it's all about.
0: Yeah, and the problem I have with that, guys, is, you know, and, and look, you're hearing John Smoltz talk about it a lot. Um, haven't heard Ron Darling talk about it as much on these broadcasts, but uh, John Smoltz is a, clearly a bigger, a big advocate of going, you know, kind of going back to the old days, I guess, or letting starting pitchers, uh, or pitchers in general, just pitch a little bit longer. Because, you know, when you start get when you when your starter get, is gone after four and a half, five innings, whatever it might be, now you're counting and, and you basically are going to give one inning at most. To each of the next uh, three, four, you're, you're asking four more pitchers to be on, and if you're, and this is why these games are going long, guys, because if you look at the box score, at some point in virtually every game, what you've got there is you've got somebody uh, starting the game, and if he didn't get you know lit up in the in, in the early innings, well, sooner or later someone's going to get lit up, and that's what happened last night to the Red Sox. You know, they suddenly got native, native Evaldi in there. Uh, in a relief role, something he's not necessarily used to right now. Same with Martin Perez in a relief role. And lo and behold, somebody got lit up and, and you lost the game. The the more you keep testing, you know, arms, the more likely you are to find someone who's going to fail, not succeed. And um, uh, I understand the analytics, but, you know, I wonder how much, I wonder how much the, the, the third time through the batting order, I mean, it's easy to go – when you talk about the first time through the batting order, you're talking about one through nine. So you've got nine there. Second time, one through nine again. It's nine there. But I think most of the pitchers with the analytics in terms of what their numbers are against the third time through the batting order, it's probably one hit or one run against two or three batters because they don't let them face nine. So if, right. if they actually let them face nine, they might just realize that, oh, by the way, maybe, you know, the batting average is, you know, 240 or 220 against the, you know, the third time through as well. If you would let him face nine guys, you might get a realistic idea what his actual uh, value is in the, the third time through the order. Maybe he figured something out. You know, they were even talking today about you know, some pitchers, and you can't do this now if you're a starter. You know, some guys save certain pitches, or used to anyway, uh, you know, for the third time through the order. You know, they lean early on, on a fastball or a slider. Then they start to incorporate a second inning, second time through, start to incorporate the changeup or a curve a little bit more. Next thing you know, so, you know come the third inning, well, maybe you're throwing some kind of a different pitch, a fifth pitch if you've got it, or leaning more on the, the changeup or the curve that you, that you use. But pitchers can't do that now because they've got to basically go out there and just throw all their best stuff right now. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, they're getting hit a lot in the third time around is because, well, they've already seen every pitch. They know they're only going to be out there for five innings anyway, so you're throwing everything you, you can through the first two times through the order. And so exactly. by the time you get exactly. through the order for a third time, you've got nothing new to throw at somebody. I, I just think the whole strategy is, is, is kind of – uh, to me, it's just a little bit off the mark. I, I don't think it's the
4: smartest way to go about it. Well, you Roger, know, there was an, inter- an interesting uh, follow-up to that, Roy, was last night's um, Dodgers-Braves Dodgers. And Charlie, the, the Ron Washington looked as it appears thought that Charlie Morton was going to be pinch hit for, so he held the runner up at third base who would easily have scored, and of course then Charlie Morton came up, one two threes out. Okay, never never even took a swing as I recall, and right. and they were the uh, you know the uh, the announcers uh, Brian Anderson and Ron Darling. Uh, and uh, the other gentlemen, they were talking about this, that that was anticipation. So, you know, Ron Washington didn't even uh, know uh, what uh, what uh, Brian Snicker was going to do on, on that. So he, he assumed, but they scored, they still scored the run, but it could have been that they didn't score the run where they could have.
0: Yeah, that was clearly a, uh, a lack of communication there between the, the third base third. coach and uh, and the manager, which is, you know, uh, quite unusual in a situation like that. But, um, you know, my guess is that Ron Washington was thinking, well, there's no way in the world we're going to, you know, keep Charlie Morton out there. But but in in Brian Snitker's defense, well, why wouldn't you keep Charlie Morton right. out there? He's, he's he's your second best pitcher or your first best, depending on whether you like Max Fried or not. But at the end of the day, Here's a guy who can certainly pitch seven, eight, nine innings for you if you need it. And by the way, in these series, and, and people call them short series, they're not; they're long because most baseball series last, you know, three games or four games at the most. So you got, but still, you, you're 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 kind of limited here on the number of arms. And sooner or later, what's happening here is some of these arms are just dead tired because you keep going to them time after time after time. Right. You're in a situation now where uh, you really need those days off for your bullpen because your bullpen guys are not used to pitching usually any more than two days in a row. Every once in a while, somebody will go three, not very often. But now these guys are all pitching two days in a row, sometimes three days in a row, and uh, or, or three out of four days and, and things like that. So these arms are getting tired, which is why some of these games are going the way they're going here. As you see now, 7-1 Houston. Uh, and who knows? It could still end up nine-seven Boston before it's done.
3: Well, I think the other thing is maybe a calculated plan by the owners to, to negate Boris, because now Boris has got to come out with players, and he's not going to have guys, you know, come, come up there and get, uh, you know, as uh, as the Yankees found out this year. You know, you pay that kind of money for starting <laughs> pitching, and the, and the starting pitching is full three three hundred and thirty million dollars you're not going to have a $330 million starting pitcher if, in uh, Boris's case if you keep going like this.
0: No, and uh, you know, he's obviously looking out for his bottom line. And, uh, Absolutely. It's one, one of the few times I actually agree with Scott Boris. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a big fan, but uh, I understand who he represents and I understand his uh, what he's got to do. And uh, Hey, on this one, I'm behind you 100% there, Scott.
4: <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Roger? That's one that we, the three of us can back him up on that, Roy. One of the very few yeah. things we can back him up with.
3: Well, in fairness, yeah, too, sure. uh, we have to go back. I think Cassius started just a magnificent job with the Rays over the years. But let's face it, he was one of the first ones that started going to the relief pitchers as a starter and bringing people in just for an inning or two innings. And then pitching maybe four or five different pitchers over the course of the game. Now a number of teams, not just one or two teams, I would say there are very
0: few teams that are not doing that. Right. Well, it's a, you're right, Don, and it's a copy. And first of all, the Rays did that because, as usual, uh, and maybe they're the way they are until another owner comes along or they get moved and somebody else buys the team, and who knows? But they did. They had to do that because they they ran out of starters, just like they exactly. did this year. They got into a situation a couple of years ago where they didn't have any starters, and they decided, well, let's try this. Rays extremely innovative in uh, so many ways. We could go through, you know, we could spend hours talking about it, but this was another one. And, gee, lo and behold, in a copycat league, which they all are, uh, somebody else saw it and said, well, heck, if it works for the Rays, then we're going to do it. So you saw a couple of teams pick it up back in 2018, a couple more in 2019, 20 by now. Everybody's using bullpen days and, uh, and, and openers and things like that. Uh, what has to happen, guys, is sooner, some, at some point, somebody's got to win a division, uh, a championship of some kind, whether it's the pennant or the World Series, uh, using four good old-fashioned starting pitchers going seven-plus innings, uh, you know, for the most part, whenever possible, uh, and if somebody if somebody suddenly does that, you'll see this thing switch back over to the way it used to be. Um, until then, you're gonna see a lot of managers rolling the dice, trying to you know roll five, six pitchers out there a game and hoping that all five or six of them have their best stuff that day and like the likelihood is that they don't
3: well, the other point is Roy, that they're starting in the minor leagues now, you know you come out and throw your best stuff everything you've got, throw it in the first two, three, four innings because. You're going to come out in the fifth or the sixth anyway. You're not going to go any further than that. So don't worry about holding back and pacing yourself at all because you're going to pitch nine innings, as you said, Ferguson Jenkins. I mean, he was never an overpowering pitcher to begin with. He was a finesse pitcher. He came from the Phillies with a real great trade for the Cubs. But at the same time, uh, he knew how to pace himself. He knew what to do. Uh, when when you had to make the right pitch for it, you just mentioned a moment ago at the top of the show, and I agree with it 100%. When Bellinger hit the home run last night, you had runners on first, and this would be a John Schmoltz answer. You had runners on first and second last night. They're up by a, a two, a five to two. And Bellinger, at, now he's the number six hitter. You got seven, eight, and nine following him, or the designated hitter. Right? None of those three hitters are going to hit – or. Potentially going to hit home runs, as Bellinger is. So you pitch around him. You don't get two, and he had two strikes. He had one ball, two strikes, and he hits a home run. That would never happen, and, you know, against I, I the Bob Gibson or uh, uh, John Schmoltz. It would never – if you'd
0: rather walk up before, you'd ever do something like that. Well, possibly not, what? but I'll say that, I'll leave you guys with this. The thing about what Bellinger, what Bellinger did was he hit a high fastball uh, way right. outside of the zone. In fact, uh, you talk about analytics. Apparently that was the highest pitch, uh, the highest fastball in terms of how high off the ground it was. It was like four inch, four feet, three inches or something up from, <laughs> the, from the bottom of the strike zone. Uh, so you had to be, you know, six foot plus tall, uh, Cody Bellinger, uh, with the adjustments that he's made in his swing to hit that home run. I think they may have been trying to throw around him, but, uh, I think he just got a little bit smarter than them and out, outsmarted them on that play, and you know Maybe you're made right. some adjustments that allowed him to do it. But but you're right. I mean, uh, I think one of the you know that's you, what you just said, Don, is absolutely true. Pitchers now have basically been told, don't save anything. Go out there and 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 throw everything you got, the best you got, uh, because we
4: lose Roy.
1: Do we
0: really and uh, nope, I'm I'm just finishing up,
4: guys. But as always,
0: thanks for having me, and I appreciate uh, being a part of it. We
4: we talked to about the Phillies and lack of uh, player development uh, on, with several folks in the last couple of weeks. First example, Nick Povetta, Okay, starting a game in the playoffs, and you know, yet the Phillies he couldn't do with uh, had a lot of trouble, and he goes to the Red Sox and he's had a pretty good year, and he even starts a game and looks good.
5: So right. if I, that
4: doesn't say something about the Phillies' lack of uh, player development. Nothing does. So.
3: Well, they all but make any, mistakes. Let's, let's face it, yeah, all the general absolutely. managers make mistakes, and this happened to be a very bad year for Cashman. I know we had a press conference yesterday. I, I didn't have a chance to hear it. It was on in the afternoon, and I didn't have a chance to hear it. But uh, I know when they signed Boone again to the new contract for three years plus the option, uh, that was pretty much expected. The media in New York was 100% behind Aaron Boone to be re-signed, and, of course, they went ahead and did it. Uh, But Cashman made a number, I don't say mistakes, uh, just a number of moves during the course of the year that turned out to be very negative.
4: Yeah. Well, we've got our first uh, guest of the evening after Roy. Uh, Don, a gentleman that has idolized you for many years and had a great uh, radio career in uh, several cities, including Tampa. Uh, I've heard him down there, Charlotte, WPT. And I don't know if uh, Sharon Thorsland's with us yet, who worked with uh, Al yes, Gardner. Is. Okay. Sharon, welcome back. It was a few years ago that you were with us, and we thought we'd surprise you by having one of your old friends and coworkers, Al Gardner, with us. We're a couple of minutes with you.
5: Oh, my goodness. How fun. Al, hello.
4: Hey.
6: Sharon, how are you doing? How are the kids? I'm how are the twins? Great. How's the youngest? How's, how's Tony?
5: <laughs> Everybody is great. It's so good to hear your voice. It's been such a long time.
6: I know. It's <laughs> been terrific. i got to tell you, uh, Roger and Don, what a privilege this is for me because, number one, Sharon Thorsland, as you know, Roger, because you work with her, is probably undoubtedly top three nicest human beings that i worked with in 50 (laughs) years in radio. Amen. uh, Wow. You can hear it. You can hear it in the laugh. You know, with all of the competition and all of the egos and deadline pressures, I never saw her without a smile. And she can ad-lib like Don Henderson, which is, you know, (laughs) impossible. No one's better. So I just, I didn't want to hug the show, but I just wanted to jump on and number one, say hi to Sharon. Find out how you're doing. How's the gang, everybody at WBT okay?
5: Everybody is doing just great. And thank you um, so much for the compliments, Al. It was always such a privilege working with you. Everybody's doing great. I've got my twins are in ninth grade. My youngest one, Thor, is in fifth grade, and everybody's good at BT. Jim Zocke is still there, and Bo Thompson and most of the gang, a lot of the people you still work with, so um, I will pass on a hello from you to all of them. they will be glad to hear from Please it do.
6: You. Get, get well, Sharon, i
3: never had an opportunity to work with you, but I can tell by the, the lilt of your voice that everything you're doing is a lot of fun, and that's what it's all about. I think all of us well, let me, older let, people enjoyed uh, <laughs> so much what we were doing that they sort of came through.
5: <laughs> absolutely, I have absolutely. to tell you, Don,
6: really two things. Number one, uh, Sharon, we obviously have a technical problem because you said your twins were in ninth grade and that's not possible. <laughs> it, time time doesn't go that quickly.
4: Number one. Number two,
6: Mr. Henderson, the reason I got into radio was because of you. My brother Bill used to be the program director at WIBG and he hired you to do sports and He told me, he said, Al, if you want to – I was a musician then. He said, you want to get into radio, you come down and watch this guy. And I went to WIBG, and I sat and I watched through the glass Don Henderson do a flawless five-minute newscast. And he had nothing but a three-by-five card under his (laughs) nose with, like, five to three written or, you know, (laughs) average 123. And he ad-libbed everything else off of this three-by-five card. And I remember saying to myself, I'm never going to be that good. But damn it, that's going to be so much fun to try. So that's why I get the radio, and I'm not exaggerating at all. Thank you, man. Well, I thank, thank you so, so much Matt. for the
3: compliment. And uh, I'll tell you, a lot of uh, the people with who worked over the years, because you know you didn't have all the uh, information right at your fingertips that you have today, so you had to be a little bit more flexible. If somebody could give you something during so the course of a broadcast, just to get it in, you couldn't make. You know, you had to be able to just sort of roll into it without making a big deal. And I always thought that was a lot of fun in the business.
6: Well, I think a lot of it is because you were an athlete. I think you were a swimmer in college and you played baseball. You know, And I think you probably had that background that made you part of that unique club. What amazes me is how Sharon, who really was so much the voice of WBT on the you know, the sidelines of the Panthers games. And obviously, I, I think you're a Tar Heel. I think you bleed oh, Tar yeah. Heel blue, don't you, Sharon? Got that yeah. on
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my well, god. Now, let me different.
6: just say one thing, Sharon, real quickly. My
3: my son, his wife, <laughs> my grandson, his wife and my granddaughter all finished graduate school at the University of North Carolina. They so my son wow. played baseball in North wow. Carolina. They went to the World Series. And uh, oh, wow. so that's ab- that's absolutely wow. true. I got a family full of North Carolinians.
5: I love it. And I've I got a nephew
4: God. that, uh, nice president of Intersport. That's a graduate in North Carolina. And there wow. we go. So <laughs> it's a great club.
5: We got
1: it <laughs> all covered. Good spot. <laughs> well,
6: listen, because I'm the least talented of all of us, I so get out of your No, head, you no, guys do Al. a sports show. No. But please, Roger Hendler, my friend of over 50 years, we started together. <laughs> that's what? Right. In the mailroom at Channel Four. In the in 19- the 60s. <laughs>
4: 1965, Al. What was he about 35 at that time? (laughs) 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 Uh,
1: (laughs) I wish.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Let me get out of your guys' hair. Thank you for the invitation and thank you, Sharon. Listen. All right, Don, Sharon, Roger. Thank you so much
5: for joining us, Al. Al. That was terrific. Yeah, great to talk to you, Al.
4: Sharon, I'll tell you real quick, uh, Al and I worked together, as I said, at 48 when we, I was in school. And one night we, uh, they had a, uh, a message board, but you had to hang the letters, okay? It was all manual. And it okay. was cold, windy, snowing. It's not far from the Philly Airport where the studios were. And we're up there, and we're hanging the, the letters, changing the message. And he says, I'm never doing this job again in my life. the wind was blowing so hard and you know we're both young guys then and uh so we could do a lot of things but anyway uh we're so happy to have you with us sharon uh you as uh, al mentioned you're part of the uh team of the uh, carolina panthers the radio team for a number of years and uh don and i talked many times about matt rule because he did a great job at Temple, Dan did. I went to Temple. Dan did the uh, broadcast at Temple for many years, and uh, unfortunately, the Panthers got off. To, well, they got off to a great start, but then they have had some problems like the last few weeks. So, tell us all about what's going on with the Panthers.
5: Yeah, well, probably um, problem number one. A lot of people were pointing to is Christian McCaffrey, um, our star running back sidelined yet again with an injury. Uh, He went down in the Thursday night game against Houston with a hamstring injury. They thought they were going to maybe get him back last week, but um, didn't didn't come back from it. They ended up putting him on IR for the next three weeks. So without McCaffrey, this Panther team just has no identity on offense, and they have just struggled to do anything right. Um, A big problem trying to pass the ball. They were passing the ball too much because they've let the run game go with no McCaffrey. And uh, the offensive line is also having massive issues. Um, they've got a lot of injuries. They've got a lot of young guys. They haven't had a, a decent left tackle since Jordan Gross retired. That was a long, long time ago. <laughs> so they've been trying to find mm. a left tackle for years and they, they still haven't found. They've been rotating guys all over the line and um that's just added to the woes of um trying to protect Sam Darnold at quarterback. So um, things have just gone from bad to worse here. They've lost three straight now and um are trying to turn things around. Sunday, I'm um, going up there to, to take on the New York Giants. Well
3: there you know, they should be they should be in pretty good shape, <laughs> although the Giants are really <laughs> taking some heat in this the city of New York. I mean it's just unbelievable what's happened in New York with the Jets and the Giants. But going back to your point with Rule uh When he came into Temple, he was able to turn completely turn a program that was almost non-existent into a, a team that went to, uh, you know, bowl games. And uh, then he went to Baylor, and with all the difficulty down there, uh, administratively as well as talent-wise, he did the same thing. And he really was well on his way, Shannon. You're better than we are, judging this. You were there. He was well on his way this year to getting it turned around, as you say, when McCaffrey got hurt. And uh, he's always been able to make major adjustments, but I guess, I guess this year there's just not enough talent at his hand to make that kind of an
5: adjustment. That's the thing right now with this team. Um, our general manager, who is new this year, Scott Fitterer, he said that's um, job number one for him is to build depth on this team. You know, we've got uh, across the board the starters, you've got good, good talent, but then things fall off, particularly on the offensive line. Um, even at running back, you know we've got a rookie, Chuba Hubbard, out of Oklahoma, who's um, who's the the starting running back right now. And I mean he's done well, but he's no Christian McCaffrey. But it, it, the the offensive line depth has been a real real problem. Um, the same thing at linebacker that that's been an issue. Now they have really tried to shore up the secondary, um, bringing in Stephon Gilmore. Hopefully he might be able to play this weekend. He's eligible to come off the PUP list. Um, they've got C J Henderson that they added, although he's been injured as well. So uh, they're, they're trying to get some depth, so they don't have this fall off from the starters to the backups, and that's certainly been part of the problem. And then, you know, just making the leap from college, you know, to the pro game is difficult, um, particularly for young coaches. And there aren't a lot of NFL coaches on this team. He's got a defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator that came straight out of college. A lot of college guys with them. So they're all, I think, a little bit learning on the fly still as well. They're struggling to make adjustments at halftime. The other team makes the adjustments. I mean, the Panthers have only scored, I think, 14 points in the third quarter all season. Um, they're having a real hard time coming out up at halftime and putting points on the board and stopping the other team. So it's a combination of all those things, plus the injury to Christian McCaffrey. Um, they're just not there yet. They're still probably a couple years away. They got Everybody got real excited because of the 3-0 and start. But – you know, you play a little better talent. You know, things start catching up with you. The injuries start mounting, and that's where we're at. Roger?
4: Sharon, what, you mentioned uh, Donald. What's, what's the uh, fan uh, temperature uh, on him at as, as quarterback, and what is it that you sense uh, from the team? They have a lot of confidence in him. I thought that uh, he never really got a good deal previously. Cause they just didn't have talent. Okay. And, absolutely, uh, yeah. And so, uh, is he a pretty good shape, uh, as far as confidence goes by the team?
5: Um, I I think so at this point. I mean, he played really well in the first three games when he had McCaffrey and um, when we didn't have the injuries to the offensive line. It's the past three games where he's really just um, gone back to his Jets ways, unfortunately, with the the turnovers and um, and not having to protect on the offensive line. has just been killing him. I mean, you put any quarterback back there, and if you don't get some time to throw, you're going to be in trouble. But he's unfortunately coupled that with making some bad decisions um, that has sort of snuck back on him from his Jets days. But um, Coach Matt Rule, we were talking to him today again. He reiterated he has complete confidence in Sam Darnold. However, he does want him to step up his play. He says he needs to make better decisions, quit turning the ball over. That's been the big emphasis this week. He came out on Monday and said, we are going to change what we're doing on offense. We're going to have a new identity. We are going to run the football. We're going to protect the quarterback, and we're going to stop turning the ball over right now. <laughs> and that's the only way we're going to win. And it's true, but they – they do believe in Sam Darnold right now. Um, they just need to give him some better protection. He needs to connect again with his receivers. He's got some super talented receivers. They've just been off. Really, everybody top to bottom just needs to up their level of play. And Sam Darnold certainly is among them. But um, he's confident. We spoke with him today. He's on the special teams that, that a lot of people support.
3: do. How, how are the yeah. special teams now going into play the Giants in New York? Uh, how are the special teams both? you know punty wise kickoff wise extra point wise field goal wise how do you stay how do they rack up against the rest of the league in in special teams
5: well um there's nothing to write home about they did have the blocked punt last um week which was the first blocked punt since i think 2000 um or 1990 something crazy it's only the second blocked punt in history of the team so it's been a long time since that happened um our main return guy, Alex Erickson, unfortunately, um, is in the concussion protocol right now. I'm not sure if he will be back out there again or not. He's been pretty solid, but nothing nothing spectacular on special teams. They haven't done a whole lot to hurt the Panthers. They haven't done a whole lot to help them either, except for that um, that block punt last week. Um, the kicking game has been a bit up in the air. Um, our punter is currently on IR, so they brought in a guy last week, signed him and put him on the practice squad, and he came up and kicked well um last weekend and then um, we're on our third kicker of the year and zane gonzalez but he seems to have won the job for now um because they they had some kicking woes early in the preseason in the first um, two weeks of the season so but zane gonzalez seems to be the guy that they settled on he's not going to make a 55 yarder under pressure to win the game for you but for the most part he's solid and is going to make the tip shots and the might get you a 50 yarder in there but um you'll see they might be opting to go for it on fourth and two in a late-game situation as opposed to trying a long field goal.
3: Roger, Scotty Bowman is standing on the sidelines ready to yeah, go. Yeah, so, uh, how about you, Sharon, thanks there for being oh, with honey. us and look forward to having you yeah. going again.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, let me, one, one question, Darren, before you get, before you get yeah. away, one question. Do you get to travel uh, with the team, the broadcasters, or are they still doing it, like, locally for an out-of-town game?
5: Yep, I'm I do not get to travel. I, I still um, stay home here in Charlotte and um <laughs> have to have to be part of the broadcast team from afar. But um Jim Zoki and the guests, yeah. Mick Mix and Mixon they'll all be up there.
4: Well listen, thank you so very, so
5: very much, very uh, much uh, we
3: we, we look really look forward to you for coming you. back and joining us again.
5: Absolutely. Absolutely. I would
3: love to. Thanks any so time. much. Take thank care. You. Next up Bye-bye. Scotty Bowman. No no introduction needed there. Uh, one of the all time coaches of any sport. And, Scotty, uh, the National Hockey League is just getting underway. We talk about the difference in baseball today. Well, you've seen a tremendous difference in the world of hockey in the last few years.
7: Well, yes. I mean, we had the pandemic for about over a year and a half and, uh, you know, got through it. And, uh, you know, now we got the, the attendance back. Hopefully we can, you know, look ahead to a banner season because, uh it's uh there's a lot of parody in the NHL and uh you know, everybody likes to think that they have a good chance, you know.
4: Roger? You know, Scotty, that's a great point because everything I've read, of course, uh, the teams have only played a, a couple of games uh into the regular season. But the parody really seems to be there and uh you know, like the Flyers lost out in their initial game in a shootout uh five to four. But uh do you, do you sense that that is the case, that uh, they, even though teams beginning of the season always have a chance to win, they say, but uh, do you feel that this year that is the case, that it's going to be really close races throughout the year?
7: Well, sure. Uh, you know, we have a cap system in hockey, and we, uh, we've had a couple of down years uh, that the revenue wasn't in what it used to be. So ba- basically you've got a lot of teams that are, uh, they're capped out. Uh, you know, what you have is what you got. And, uh, you know, once, once a couple of teams, uh, you know, gather a pretty good team, if a team hasn't, uh, you know, spent all their cap room, they go out and they, they make sure that they try to compete with that top notch club. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a, a really interesting season because, uh, You know, the league is, is, I was talking to one of the veteran players in the league uh, last week uh, when I was at a Tampa game, Sidney Crosby. I think Sid's about 33 now, and he's probably been in the league about 15 years, and he said when he first came in the league 15 years ago, there was about two or three young players on each team. Now, he said, there's only about two or three experienced players on each team is a tremendous amount of young players that have hit the NHL. I'm, I mean, it, it, we've kind of taken away the middle ground type of player financially. Uh, I don't know how it's going to spin out in the future, but, you know, your your top stars are, are getting signed for long contracts. Eight years is the maximum if you sign one of your own players. Seven if you get a free agent. So, um, you know, it's been a quite a season for getting long big contracts and, and uh, a lot of money. And, um, you know, you only have so much to spend until we get going. Probably going to take about two or three years to get back to uh, normalcy. And uh, I know the owners bankrolled the league for, oh, gee, the last two years. Uh, you know, they didn't have full seasons, but the players got well compensated uh, with no revenue coming in, you know.
3: Scotty, maybe you can clear up a point for me because I give a lot of credit to Bettman. I know a lot of people don't necessarily. Uh, a lot of speculation, pluses and minuses. But I don't think in any professional league, and no one would know better than you because you played on or coached so many different teams and took them to Stanley Cups and won, I've never seen a league where an expansion team like Vegas came in and was an automatic, an automatic team that had a chance to go to the finals in the Stanley Cup playoffs Every other team in expansion sports has to play 10 years of nothing before they ever (laughs) get started. I give the league all the credit to the world for the way they decided to open that draft up.
7: Well, you know what happened uh, really uh, for years, the uh, the expansion teams came in and there was all kinds of different, uh, you know, uh, prices until this one with Vegas. uh, Everybody was wondering if it was going to work, but it was a, you know, I think what they did the league looked at there
6: was thirty teams,
7: and they said you know we we we're going to expand, and they paid five hundred million dollars Vegas did, but they made sure that the existing teams had to give them a competitive team. Right. they did a good job, they did a good job corralling, and you know when when most of the expansions in the NHL have been multiple teams. Like you know when when teams came in before it was usually two at two at a time, so now you know two teams coming in, you're sharing with the other teams that are there, the players, but when Vegas came in, there's no there was a single same as the Seattle just this their first year, and they right. even, they even bumped up the expansion fee to six fifty but they they, they 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 made sure that the teams could only protect a limited number of players. One goaltender, uh, if they protected three defensemen, they would only be allowed to protect seven forwards. If they wanted to protect uh, four, it would be four and four. So they made it really – they knew that they were going to be a competitive team. I don't think anybody thought they were going to get in the finals. And they've been a very very strong team, and they still have a lot of assets. Vegas and Seattle will do the same because they got a lot of – good players uh not the first line players under like especially defensemen they're hard to get they're hard to come by in hockey defense and goaltending can, as you know can win a lot of a lot of games for you but they did a good a good plan they didn't put a team in that wasn't going to be competitive because they're coming into all the other buildings and uh yeah it was quite a foresight by uh, uh gary bettman and his staff uh you know Bill Daly and whoever else was involved, but the expansion committees did a great job in putting a solid team on the ice. And naturally the fans in
4: Vegas have taken to it. I thought it was terrific. Roger, you're up. Yeah. um, I'll tell you, uh, Scotty, I'm a big fan of uh, Keith Jones does the flyers and the network. And um, I think, yeah. yeah, What do you think? uh, Or I think this is going to help the league. My opinion now having so much, exposure on different networks uh do you feel the same way about that
7: you know it's been a it's been a long grind i i I think it's been i think 2004 was the last year for espn if i'm not mistaken you're right so we're we're talking there's 17 year and you know with with espn i'm watching the game tonight (laughs) in fact i i'm just watching keith jones they got him between the benches and uh yeah they get the they get the, like tonight. There's two games in the NHL, uh, this game and then the late game out of Vegas, uh, and that's going to be uh, like TNT's night. And then and then ESPN's got a night of their own, you know. And I I, th- I think it's going to be good because ESPN, ESPN TNT got so many places, and uh, you know they're they're big in the other major sports. So this is terrific for the NHL. Uh, there's a European market that's starting. Uh, there 's a lot of revenue streams with the streaming that people want to do uh, there 's a lot of uh, gambling on the on the outcome of games not by <laughs> the players thank goodness but by a lot of a lot of people that like to keep involved so yeah it 's a new horizon for the national hockey League and i don't i don 't know i 'm not a i 'm not a uh, somebody that can look ahead a long way but who knows in the next little while it's a worldwide sport we're getting a lot of players from europe i think we've got about 35 percent of our 750 players come from europe uh we've got a lot from uh the united states uh so we're we're getting we're getting up there like the, you know it used to be just a canadian sport canada's holding its own with about 50 but i think between europe and i might i might have said the wrong thing 35 is USA and maybe about 20 or 25 Europe. But the European market is big and uh, I, I foresee maybe in the next decade that uh, w- we're going to be a worldwide sport and I think you even know the National Football League is, they, I, think, I think I read somewhere they're going to have three games in, uh, in um, is it, is it London or is it just in Europe next year? NBA? Well, so they, it's, they're going to be worldwide like the other sports. I yeah, think one of the, the
3: things from an administrator, I'm a great believer in administration. I, I I love the players. I think a lot of great players. But I don't think you have a great team or a great organization if you don't have administrators. I think they're the ones that dictate how this club is going to be put together and what you're going to be able to do over a period of three or four or five years. I go back to Bettman here for a moment because they settled the Players Association agreement before the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs began last year. I mean, I thought that was a terrific, terrific move.
7: Well, it's enabled the television markets to, you know, they don't want to just keep jumping around. And we have a six-year labor peace agreement that was extended by both the NHLPA and the NHL. Right. And uh, that has enabled ESPN, and that's enabled a lot of sponsors to come in and back something that they know there's no labor uh, we've had we've had some issues with the with the you know losing seasons, canceling games. We had the, the pandemic. Now we we had a 56 game schedule last year. We had a 70 plus game schedule, but now we're back to 82. We got full buildings again. Hopefully, uh, you know we can stay ahead of the curve on that. But um, it's uh, it's a, such a great game because it's the uh, it's probably the one sport. We have unlimited substitution. We have substitution as the, as the as the play continues. Uh, there's a lot of good action there we We're doing a good job dressing up the game as far as uh, how long it takes to play. Uh, you know we've got the exciting shootout after a game that's tied uh, in over five a five minute overtime. There's a lot of people now that the overtime is so it's so exciting to see uh, because you see each team. Uh, carries uh, twelve forwards and six defensemen, but when they get into the three-on-three overtime, of course they're using only about six or nine players. So you, you're getting the top-notch players on the ice uh, for the first uh, for the five minutes. Some people, some there's a, I'm not I'm not I mean they want to go maybe another another five minutes of three-on-three, thinking that uh, most games will be decided, but. Uh, on a three-on-three rather, rather than go to the shootout, but I'm I'm fine with uh, with everything in the league. the o- The only consideration, and I I can see why it isn't, but we we're one sport that has some games are have a value of three points because if it goes past the uh, the um, regulation, there's a the, the, each team has a point and they're playing for a third point or for a second point. So we have some three-point games. If you win the game and, and 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 you win the game outright, it's two points. Uh, it's odd enough. The Continental Russian Hockey League, they give three points for a regular se- a regular win without overtime. So the, all their games are worth three points. But the system the NHL uses, it 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 keeps parity because like you know you you're nibbling away. If you get some of those one point games, you'll see teams at the end of the year they're not just F- five hundred eighty two points they got maybe 93 95 points and it makes it look like they're stronger and also it keeps uh, it keeps the the, the league really uh, confined because uh you know you're down near the end of the year and you got some game you think well own team one team's only going to get two points it's not right they're going to get somebody's going to get two and the other one could get one
4: roger yeah you know uh scotty a, c- a couple of things um uh, I live in the Atlanta area, and I was at opening night for the Flames in 72, the Thrashers. I was here when they imploded (laughs) the Omni. I'm a hockey Mm -hmm. I was at opening night for the Flyers Pittsburgh at the Spectrum in 67. And I'm a hockey fan. And I'm I'm going to go to see the Mm -hmm. minor league team. But I really think Mm -hmm. Atlanta uh, has done well with hockey. Uh, I think it was a political deal, uh, ownership deal when they moved. But the other thing is uh, when you listen to Georgia football coverage, which is far more expensive than the time of the game, uh what, the guy that's one of the uh hosts is neil named Neil Williamson, and he oh. said a couple of weeks ago, his favorite athlete in his whole lifetime is Bobby Orr, and that is wow. on the Georgia Football Network. And if that doesn't get out to people about hockey from a guy that's really uh, has a great reputation, uh, making that statement, nothing does.
7: He's been an amazing athlete that he played in a tough sport for not even 10 regular seasons. He started, Bobby started in, I I go back, I first saw him play when he was 13 years old playing, playing against his own age group. Wow. Uh, he was so small. I didn't know how great he was going to be, but I, I then coached against him in junior. I coached against him in the NHL. I had him on a couple of international league, international play uh, tournaments, but Bobby, Bobby played from 66 to 76. And the last two years of his career, he played with very damaged knees, but he still, he still was the best defenseman of his time. And of course of all time, but it was amazing that a, Player that would only play in the sport for ten years, and a lot of them are now at eighteen and twenty, and is thought about like he was. That uh, ranked in the very top of the of the all-time greatest players that played the game. Um, there's been there's, he's not alone. I mean, you know, we know the Gordy Howes and the Rocket Richard's and uh, and Gretzky's and all those players, Lemieux. But uh, it's amazing how he's been um, looked upon for people that never saw him play but can go back and look at uh, videos of him and and uh, with Boston and uh been an amazing amazing player.
3: He was such a great transition player. Scotty, I think that yeah. was Yeah, you know, I think he was the first one that really changed the whole complexion of uh, how you attack.
7: Well, defensemen especially, defensemen were usually staying home and staying right. close to their own net. And he was a forward back on defense and he changed, he changed the, the defense position so much so that nowadays it's such a, 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 a an important commodity that um, I look at it this way, that if you have a goaltender and you have a defense corps that's superior to the opposition, your chances to win goes up dramatically. And, uh, it's it's not easy to play defense uh, you're you're defending and you're attacking and uh, you know it's but it's 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 a game that that uh, if you have offense from your defense you've gotta, you're, you got a you got a leg up on the other team
3: well that certainly helped uh, no question here in Tampa when you talk about the, what they were able to do from a defensive standpoint you made a point earlier in the conversation yeah. which i agree with 100% for some reason, defensemen are very, very hard to come by. I'm talking about competitive defensemen. And uh, every well, team would like yeah. to have a couple, but they're not there.
7: No, the light, Lightning, I mean, I've had some great great teams, but not, not as great as the last two years. But, you know, they peck away at your lineup. But I still feel the Lightning, and they're not alone in this category, but they still might have, if you listed the players from one to ten, of all the teams in the league, they probably right near the top going in i mean based on of course based on past performances, of course, but they still have four four of their championship defense players they have a the arguably the number one goalie in the league i don 't think people dispute it now in uh, in Vasilevsky and uh, and six really really handy forwards so that their their top ten players uh seem to be in a, in a in a case by themselves, although there's some teams that could make a case for now, like the Florida Panthers have come up with some really good young players, and they've been building a great team as well. But uh, the Lightning, uh, a lot is going to, we're going to have a different formula this year because they they had not only the best 10 players, I thought, last year, they also had the 10 supporting cast players were really good, and they lost three of them uh, to to free agency because of uh, money restraints, uh, you know that meant a lot to that team. And I'm not saying they can't, it's much easier to replace those players than to replace superstars. But nevertheless, it's not easy when you're at the cap, at the limit of your cap. So it'll be an interesting season for for. But <laughs> the Florida, the, the the state of Florida, uh, may have the two best teams in hockey in the Panthers and the uh, Lightning, which is unusual when we look at uh, 20, 30 years ago, who would say there's going to be hockey in Florida?
4: You're right there. Roger, you're up. Yeah, the uh, we were talking about Keith Jones doing a game tonight, uh, and you had mentioned, uh, mentioned Sidney Crosby. Keith said one time of all the uh, players probably in, in just about every sport, Sidney Crosby can have the biggest effect on a game uh, than probably any athlete. Do you agree with that? I, I do. I think he's just spectacular. Yeah, he's, he's,
6: uh,
7: he started off as a young offensive player. He developed his game both ways. Uh, he's a player for all, all situations. Uh, being a center ice player, that's important. His face-off prowess, his goal scoring, his clutch playing, you know, how he makes players around him better. Yeah, he's been a real benchmark for players of the last decade for sure. Uh, there's some great young players we've we've added into the league, uh, you know, in the last three, four years. Uh, Toronto has a great goal scorer in Austin Matthews. There's a player in Edmonton, Connor McDavid. Um, he's probably the closest type of skater that we've had in a league since Bobby Orr the type of skating that he can accelerate. But Crosby is a player that has made his team competitive year in and year out. He missed over a year with a terrible concussion. Uh, People were wondering if he was going to be able to go back and do what he did before, and sure enough, he bounced right back. And uh, he's a wonderful person and a great player and a great uh, model for young people coming up Uh, there's nothing uh, that I can say uh, about them that isn't top-notch.
3: Scotty, not just to pat you on the back because you're on the show, but uh, from a serious question, uh, you went to so many different teams, and each team you took into the Stanley Cup and won the Stanley Cup championship. When you were at any one of the clubs that you were with, what was the determining factor of moving to St. Louis or moving to Montreal or moving was it administrative? was it money, or was it the um, desire to go to a different team?
7: No, it's a combination i I certainly believe that there's shelf life for people in in different jobs, and uh maybe in coaching the shelf life is probably as as low as you can get. Uh, I was one of the fortunate ones but i I think by moving around, I learned different things i uh, I met new people, new friends. I left St. Louis. Uh, my uh, It was a, a chance to go home. Everything was a circumstance. And then when I left um, I left Montreal to go in, back into the U.S., my wife was a U.S. citizen when we went to Montreal, and we, uh, it was my hometown. And I got a terrific offer to go to, to Buffalo to do, to do both jobs, and I took it. And, uh, you know, I didn't always run for the money as much as I... I just felt at the time, it's time to leave. And uh, who knows, my last job, I was going to go to Detroit for two years. I was just going to hopefully get them over the top in two years. We couldn't do it in two, but we did it in three or I think four years. And then I stayed nine. So uh, and that was the longest stretch I had of any of the teams. But I, I don't regret any of the moves. I, I still keep in touch with the people that I was with in those cities. Uh, when you move from one city to another, Gordy Howe was probably the one influence when I left Montreal to go to Buffalo. It was a tough decision because we had won four in a row. My uh, family was young. Uh, it was a chance to be able to move, and I, I was I had second thoughts. And I talked to him one day, and he said, "You know, you're gonna you're gonna have good friends in Montreal, and they'll always be your friends. You're gonna go to Buffalo. You're gonna meet new friends." And uh, I, I wasn't expecting to stay in Buffalo, and I did. I've been there forty, forty years this year. Uh, even though I moved to Detroit, I didn't move to Pittsburgh and Detroit. But I didn't move my family because they were entrenched in and school and things like that. So, no, I, I different reasons, but uh, certainly uh, uh, contract wise, I did much better in in most of not all of them, but in some of them.
3: Well, I think the interesting part is, at least to me, and and when I talk about coaching and the success of coaching, it's not just the fact that you can talk about a Yankees manager or Red Sox manager or whoever you'd like to talk about uh, that has won consecutive championships or four championships out of six, but you did it with so many different clubs and so much different personality. It just seems amazing to me uh, that that you could (laughs) – take over a club and take it to the Stanley Cup finals and win with all this different talent, all these different teams It had to be really difficult.
7: Well, I, I got to look back on my career and I know I was so fortunate. Sometimes you, you get in the right place and you get in the right timing. And, you know, I've had 40 players that have been on my lineup. Some of them were at the end of their career. Some were at the beginning, some in the middle and uh, 40 of them are in the hockey hall of fame and uh, and 12 of them are defensemen and even on the on the goaltending side uh you know looking back from I only had him for one year but I didn't make him a hall of famer but he won a cup for us in Pittsburgh, in uh Detroit uh Dominic Hasek. and uh I I started off though, with a pretty good pretty good uh uh choice with Glenn Hall and Jacques Plante We're at, in their late thirties when I was in St. Louis. And then I get to Montreal and I, 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 I inherit a good young goalie who just won his first cup and wasn't even a rookie till the second year, Ken Dryden. So, you know, f- four, go- four hall of fame goalies and 12 uh, defensemen, uh, you know, and, and another 24 forwards. Uh, I didn't make them hall of fame players. I can assure you uh, they probably would have done it with anybody, but I was, in, I was, the, I reap the benefits of those Hall of Fame players. And you, a coach that wins in any sport is not going to win with ad, only adequate players. He's going to have to get the best players. I mean, it's been proven in every sport, football, basketball, basketball. hockey, baseball. It, 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 players uh, are a special breed. They They have to work together. They have to be skillful. But there, it's a team. Most of the sports that I know uh, I've been involved with, of course, are, are, are team sports. And uh, I have a lot of admiration for these teams that, that come and build winners because, uh, you know, it, it ends up to be that the players that get on winning teams get to be Hall of Fame players.
3: Well, Sky, we look forward to seeing the press box down here in Tampa and continue to see the yeah. lightning and... Uh, I, I just want to thank you so much, as always, for spending some time with us and not only enlightening us, but enlightening our audience across the country uh, as to what happens at the world of hockey, and more importantly, what yeah. happens with Scotty Bowman, one of the real okay. leaders. Scotty, thank you yeah, so well, much.
4: Thank you so thank much, Scotty. Thanks,
7: thanks, thanks Frank, Scotty. and I'll go back and I'll watch Keith Jones uh, tell his stuff hey, again there tonight. You go. Thank you. <laughs> we'll tell, we'll tell her that, Scotty.
3: <laughs> okay, bye. All right, we switch gears again. We've, uh, we had a great uh, first hour plus with some terrific guests, and we got one more coming up. Mike Schulte, who joins us, uh, maybe not every week, but almost every week, and I think most people know that uh, he's been associated with the uh, Outback Bowl for so many years. And uh, we talk uh, not only about the Outback Bowl and ticket availabilities and special uh, present presentations that they're making. But also football around the country week to week. Mike, once again, great to be with you. And let's start off tonight with the front front. Listen, how about ticket availability, uh, special packages, and we'll give the yeah. we'll give the Outback Bowl the first shot tonight.
8: Okay, well, yeah, uh, tickets are on sale now. Uh, we went on sale a couple of weeks ago. We're on sale, at Ticketmaster.com. So uh, you can go on uh, and buy your tickets. Uh, we have club seats as well as. Uh, um uh, non-club seats and uh uh they we've sold a, a fair fair amount uh, so far and and they're continuing to sell and of course uh, it will get uh, more and more sales as we get closer to team announcement day in in December so uh we have uh, a lot of really good seats uh, left still and um we do have some uh, corporate packages or 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 various membership packages that you can purchase as well that give you uh, uh, exceptional seats and the ability to renew the seats each year, too, sort of like a season ticket package. So, um, And some of our corporate tech, uh, packages uh, also include some uh, uh, events to, or, or uh, invitations to VIP events uh, leading up to the game and uh, parking passes and so forth. So a lot of good options. Uh, ticketmaster.com or you can go to the Outback Bowl website to, to look at our our uh, premium uh, memberships and uh,
4: various packages there.
3: Roger kick off our football weekend, because I'll tell you it has been one great first half of the season.
4: Well, it sure has. And uh, Mike, always good to talk to you. And uh, obviously I'm a, a, a bulldog fan and they are some team. And I, I think they they've taken care of uh, anything they needed to do to be uh uh, number one and continue to be number one. How about that? Yeah, they
8: they they've uh, they've also, they're, you know, they, they really have it all going um, You know, uh, I was just talking to a friend today about them And you know, the you know the, at the early part of the season um, They weren't really running the ball that you know, like like you would expect them to um, You know, but they were of course getting it done with their defense and their passing game and um, but then, you know, I think it was the Arkansas game where their their running game really came alive, and, and of course that carried through to you know playing Kentucky, and and so they really have everything going. I, I think one of the the really interesting things about them uh, is is not only you know just you know in general how good they are and how how strong their defense is. Um, you know, someone their day described it as you know they said their defense looks like Alabama's defense. Uh, has been, you know. Um, but uh, the, the other interesting thing is that they have a lot of, um, uh, you know, they, they seem to be really deep at, at running back. They have a lot of uh, really good running backs that are all, you know, good. Um, and you know, so, no matter which one they hand the ball off to, they they seem to, you know, uh, be producing good yards. Uh, they have a number of good receivers, and they and they basically have two quarterbacks too. Uh, both with right. with a of experience and are and both very talented um so you know uh I, you know obviously um uh you know the the uh, quarterback they they started the season with got got injured so they bring the other guy ben, Tessin Bennett in and he's playing he's playing great and so i i'm not sure sure which one they're going to use when they play Florida in two weeks but it's it's uh it's uh really interesting the, the the amount of depth they have at running back uh and quarterback to go along with uh you know such a great defense so uh they seem to seem to have everything going uh, so far and um it's going to be interesting to see you know if uh, if anybody can can knock them out of that spot
3: interesting too the SEC of course has uh, developed to be a, a conference within itself and this year with Alabama losing by one point uh, it really puts a lot of pressure on the second half of the season as uh, they go all the way down to the championship game as to whether they're going to have an opportunity to get to the uh, to the college championship game altogether. Uh, it's going to be very very interesting.
8: Yeah, well, especially if you, you know you know there's a I read an article today talking about you know even if Alabama wins out and let's just you know let's just play for fun you know, let's just say they they went out and they end up playing Georgia in the SEC championship game, which could be like right. a national championship game, kind of atmosphere, <clears throat> you know, if Georgia were to beat them, would Alabama, um, you know, go to the playoff this year still with two losses? Um, and, you know, whereas obviously if Alabama won that game, you know, Georgia would probably still go with one loss and Alabama would go. So, so they might both then go again into the playoff and could potentially you know end up playing each other again actually in the playoff which would be interesting so a lot Roger. a lot of
4: different potential scenarios there but we'll just have to wait and
8: see how they play the games out
4: you know Mike uh, we've spoken you've mentioned a number of times in our uh, conversations about uh, the effect of having the uh, the open enrollment so to speak uh, where the transfer a portal yeah. have to sit yeah it doesn't have to sit out. A perfect example was last Saturday in the Kentucky game against Georgia. The quarterback played three years at Penn State, got his degree. He's now at Kentucky getting his graduate degree. He has this year, next year, and then there's the third year, if he wants, uh, because they call it the COVID year. Uh, Isn't that correct, the way I describe that?
6: Yeah,
8: they they gave everybody an extra year last year, um, and uh, I think I'd mentioned too. I think I think it was uh, I'd heard uh, like Arkansas, for instance. You know, a lot of people are like, well, where did they come from? And you know, Arkansas, I know, uh, has a couple of guys that transferred in from other really good programs, and then they have a couple what they what I term as the fifth year guys that are that okay. had that got the extra year. You know, like you said from co- the COVID, uh, so forth, but. Uh, where they gave everybody an extra year of eligibility. So, so you know, it, you you know it, it's I equate it to sort of like I'm, I'm used to like in in college basketball, right? You get a lot of programs that'll bring in a JUCO player, right? Who spends a couple of years at JUCO during college. They you know you know they graduate a bunch of guys, and instead of trying to bring up a bunch of you know freshmen, they bring in a couple JUCO players, right? That fills in fill in those gaps, you know. And and, right. and in my personal opinion I think that's that's sort of what's is happening here with between the, the COVID year extra year and the and the transfer portal now where people can transfer in, you're seeing guys move around to the point where, you know, all of a sudden you can get a guy in he's maybe got some experience, maybe a lot of experience, who can come in for a year or two uh, and sort of fill in that gap, you know, that you had because you lost against a bunch of seniors or guys to the pros or whatever. And you're still waiting for the, you know, the young guys to develop and, and, you know, you need that extra, you know, that, that quarterback or that, that defensive end or, or or that running back that, you know, that you don't have yet in your, you know, with your young uh, roster and you can get somebody to sort of step in with some experience um, who can, uh, who can play right away for you and help you out. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're seeing that in, in regards to how it's it's helping a little bit in regards to the balance of power um, uh, throughout the college football.
3: Mike Schulte, our special guest, of course, we talk with Mike Week in and Week Out about the Outback Bowl, but also about college football across the country. And uh, Mike, with us all living in the Philadelphia or not the Philadelphia area, but the uh, Florida area, now that I'm down in Sarasota. Uh, you got your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the state of Florida because the competition now within the state itself is tremendous, and then they have to go out and compete across the country. What, what uh, what's your feeling about Florida, Florida State, Miami, uh, University of Central Florida? Uh, how do you, how do you feel that they rank?
8: Well, I, you know, I think I think really they're all. Um, You know, I I think Florida, of course, has had some really good success recently. Um, Miami and Florida State are are sort of still rebuilding uh, their programs. Uh, You know, Miami uh, might be a little bit further along uh, than Florida State. Florida State's, you know, had you know a couple different coaches over the last few years, and that's tough. You know, the the more often you 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 change your coaching staff, because you're not only changing the head coach, you're changing coordinators and assistants and 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 so forth. And then you're, you're, you know, the the new coach comes in and they're maybe recruiting a whole different kind of player or they have a whole different scheme. So, um, you know, so I I think, you know, you have, you have some programs that are, you know, sort of building their way up to where they want to be. And I think they're all making some good progress. Um, You know, even, you know, central Florida, of course, you know, that might be a little bit, you know, the, the other direction because they had had some great success of late, but, you know, they lost a lot of guys. They lost, and they lost their coaching uh, staffs, a, a couple of them. They, you know, of course, Scott Frost went to Nebraska, and then um, and then Coach um, Heifel went to, to Tennessee last year. So, um, so they're having to, you know, to make, you know, a lot of changes there that they're having to deal with. But I think, you know, all in all, and, and you know this being in Florida, you know, there's so much Florida talent, first of all, not that these guys all just have Florida talent, but you know, to, so you have that to start with uh, in the in the high school ranks. Uh, but then you know, I, I think that you know, with the changes and the new coaching staffs, um, you know, once some of these coaching staffs get more established, um, I, I think actually, um, um, Florida has has the, uh, the the longest tenured coach right now in regards to the big programs in the state. Uh, you know, because. Uh, you know, all the other ones have gotten, had coaching changes within at least the last couple of years. So, you know, I think as those coaches are able to get their their players in um, and, and the other thing too is that the um, the COVID year really sort of um, really messed up a lot of these programs in regards to these coaches who had come in um, to these programs you know, just before um, COVID hit and, you know, we had the, the last year was just such an odd year with no spring ball, no no real summer programs to speak of uh you know a, a late start to the season uh in in some cases an abbreviated season i mean it it's you know for for those programs who had new coaches coming in um you know right before that even within a year or so before that um it you know that that really sort of i think you know, you know had to pause their their progress there, if you will, uh, in regards to trying to you know do what they needed to coming into the new program. So now that now that that part is passed, I think you're starting to see uh, these these coaches starting to make some some headway in regards to their programs, uh, getting some recruits in. And I think you know after you see this year's recruiting classes come through with these with these teams in Florida State, South Florida, uh, Miami. I, I think you're gonna see them really start to, to move forward in a in a really good direction um over the next couple of years because like I said I think uh, all but Florida has had a, a had coaching changes amidst, amidst all the other issues that are out there today you know from the past eighteen months and um uh, they just really haven't had a chance to to really uh fairly uh, you know get get their feet on the ground and get their, the players in, uh, you know, recruits and all that, that they, they're hoping to bring in.
3: Roger, last question. Hey, Mike hey, standing by yeah, and we go to our next segment. Yeah, we'll yeah. let you throw in the last question.
4: Great. Uh, Mike, uh, there's a plum position available, LSU. Yeah. So it's going to be there until the end of the year. But uh, that will be interesting, uh, in my opinion, uh, depending on who gets that job, about how many transfers – we would see from his program you know, where he, you know, he was coming from, uh, and how many will leave LSU. Uh, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah, can you hear me, okay?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah yes. yes. Roger was sort of on okay. the speak, Yeah, right you dropped out a little bit. Yeah, oh, you're right. Mike. Go ahead.
8: Yeah, his, yeah, his, yeah, part of his question Go dropped ahead. out. So, yeah, as far as, yeah, the, you're talking about the LSU. Well, you know, their thing, the other one is sitting out there. Uh, is USC still um, sure. USC yeah. is open. Mm-hmm. Also, those are, those are two big time uh, programs uh, that are looking for coaches and that, and, and we're, we're still in October. So, right. <laughs> so <laughs> it's going to be a really interesting uh, year in that regard. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, and, and, and like you said, the transfer portal kind of situation, um, you know, that does sort of play into these things, right? Because, um, you know, one, one of the arguments for a long time, uh, was, you know, if, if a coach can leave a, a school and go somewhere else, why can't a player kind of thing? Well, now they can. And so, you know, you might have a situation where, uh, you know, some kids from LSU decide they're, they're not, you know, they, they're not going to stay because, you know, depending on who the new coach is, you know, maybe, maybe they'd rather go somewhere else. Um, or at the same time, you know, once they, these schools name a new coach, um, they might be able to attract a bunch of guys to, to transfer in, in there uh, from somewhere else. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, not only uh, who the coaches are that, that get these positions at these at these great institutions, but um, how that affects the uh, the, you know, the transfers in and out of those programs.
3: Mike, thank you very much as always. Thanks we'll keep so in much, touch thanks with thanks the Outback so Bowl always. and look forward to as we move forward. Uh, to your selections in your game on New Year's Day. And thank you once again. Always appreciate it.
8: Sure is. Always a pleasure to be with you guys. And uh, looking forward to another really fun weekend of college football. You got it. Absolutely. Great, great weekend, Mike.
3: Mike Simzak, Sandy, by right now. And I'll tell you, they got great football in Baltimore. they got interesting football in Washington. They've got hockey. Mike there covers it all as well as the world of soccer around the world. So, Mike, nice to have you with us. Let's quickly just touch on uh, the Washington Football Club because they're struggling a little bit.
9: They're struggling, I think, is is being a little bit polite um, (laughs) between what's going on on the field and what's going on off the field. It's been a rough couple of weeks for the Washington football team. um, And it just seems like their mantra lately has been let's try and smash defeat from the jaws of victory.
4: Roger. Yeah. Mike, uh, uh, with you being an expert in soccer, uh, I saw that the NFL, and I think it was the premier league, is that right? Had the uh, joint meetings about the safety issues and operations and everything. Uh, is that the first step? on uh, some kind of merger or partnership between, uh, two different, uh, uh, uh games, uh, leagues. What do you think?
9: I think there could be some sort of commercial partnership in between the NFL and the Premier League. Look, both leagues want to make more money. Uh, American football, our football is growing, uh, ever more popular over in England as proof uh, as proven by just the the number of fans that they get out to each one of these games and as many ones as they put over there those tickets just get bought up Um, and the NFL definitely wants to have a more regular and consistent presence over there and at the same time uh, Premier League soccer is getting more and more popular over here in the United States, so I could see some sort of commercial agreement, and also from a revenue business standpoint, I think that they could go in on certain endorsements, certain partnerships, but more than anything else, I think they each want to learn how um, the other one does business because they are probably, without a doubt, the two most revenue-generating leagues. In world sports, when you talk about how big the television contracts are, how big the merchandising, the uh, the commercial revenues for these teams, uh, we just saw uh, one team, a, a relatively smaller team up in the Northeast, get bought out by the Saudi Arabians for 300 billion pounds. That might not sound like a lot, but that's, you know, the Estimate of what that commercial revenue could be. That, that would like a lot to out. me. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: it is a lot,
9: but when you consider the, it um, you know, about $500 million, when you consider that we estimate the, the, uh, the Washington football team to be worth upwards of $3 billion, but then when you right. look at some of the more established Premier League clubs, Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester City, their valuations are up near where the uh, NFL team's valuations are. So I think it's, I think that, Roger, you're right. I think that there could be a commercial agreement between the two to sort of represent I mean, going on some endorsement, some commercial deals. I also think that there's a, hey, let's sit around and see what each other's best practices are so that we can continue to grow these leagues, right? And The Premier League giving access to the NFL, you know, maybe some partnerships, you know, uh, a more formal informal link between a team like Philadelphia and maybe um, I'm just going to pick one out of a hat and say, you know, uh, between the Eagles and, and, and let's say Arsenal or something like that. Although Arsenal would be LA because they're owned by the Cronkies, just like Liverpool are owned by the Red Sox. Um, you can see those sorts of things. So just kind of developing these partnerships between the two. And I think that's smart business.
4: Yeah, Premier League starts on TV, I think, uh, this week or uh, uh, or next week, doesn't it, here in the States?
9: Oh, no, it's been on TV. Um, there's a big game this Sunday
4: at 11. That's what it was, yeah.
9: Yeah, there's the that's biggest rivalry in the uh, English Premier League, Manchester United and Liverpool, it all goes back to a a canal that was built that allowed Manchester to become the first industrial city, and Liverpool never forgave them, and and so that's probably the biggest rivalry, the most historic rivalry uh, between the two most decorated teams in England. So if you're looking for something to do before football starts, uh, give it a watch. I don't know how good the game is going to be, but the history is there.
3: You know, How about the National go. Hockey League in Washington. Mike, uh, we talked quickly about the Washington football team. You oh, got brought that uh, one without any trouble. How about the hockey club?
9: Oh, uh, we I'm sure we will go back to the Washington football team before the show is out because there's a lot to talk about there. Um, you know, the Caps through three games are doing what the Caps do. Uh taking points. They've got uh points they've picked up points in their first three games. Uh, which is the type of start that they want to have. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a fairly typical Caps season where they're at or near the top of the uh, their division looking for a home playoff series, at least in the first round, possibly the first two rounds. Uh, the big question is still going to remain defense and how well they can defend against speed. We saw that again. Uh, in their game against Tampa where they held on but still, you know, they have this block against Tampa and it comes down to the speed. They really struggle with speed. Right. Uh, they had to let go of defenders like Ochara uh during the off season, So it's a bit of a younger defense. You know, we're going to see Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek in goal. Um, Samsonov was show flashes last season, being the goalkeeper that they thought that he was going to be. But, uh, you know, he missed a lot of time. And a lot of time due to things that are kind of boatheaded, you know, breaking um, COVID protocols, things like that. So it was actually Vanatek who was the starting goalkeeper going into the playoffs. Then he got hurt, and they suffered greatly in that first-round loss in the playoffs last year, so how the goalkeeping develops, you know, this is not the type of defense that we're typically we see, you know, Baxter's been injured, so how and when he comes back, but as long as you have uh, Ovi scoring goals, the Caps are going to be a contender.
4: Roger? Yeah, the Flyers are up over Boston uh, 3-2, and uh, we were talking about this uh, earlier, uh, Mike, about with the expansion of uh, the TV coverage uh, in the NHL, uh, it's got to really uh, help uh, the the uh, league. Uh, you wanted to talk more about uh, the the, re- the uh, Washington football team. I'll never get used to that. Hopefully, they'll have a name next year. But uh, oh, they've they uh,
9: already t- said Roger. They're going to they're going to have a name in February. And I'll tell you what. I went in thinking. You know, Jason Wright, the, the uh, president of operations, I don't know whether he, uh, I thought, like, drawing this out the way that he's handling it, I thought this was kind of like the dumbest thing ever. But I don't know whether on purpose or by accident, I think he stumbled into something brilliant. <laughs> by taking so long to announce this name and all the hullabaloo behind the making the brand and the, the releases of these various nicknames and List that they keep putting out every so often, by the time they actually announce the name, nobody's going to care. They're just going to be like, okay, yeah, that's what you settled on. Okay, I guess that's what it is. And there's not going to be a lot of hullabaloo around it because everybody's just going to be happy that they finally have a name other than the Washington football team. And even if they stay with the Washington football team, everybody's just going to be like, okay, well, I guess that's what it
4: is now. Well, they'll probably announce... Go ahead, but Frank. Go ahead, Frank.
8: Yeah, they have a, a, a
2: pretty bad controversy going on right now uh, with their trainer. Uh, is there any update on that? So he has...
9: That was among the list of things that have come out over the course of the last week, the two weeks, that have just been baffling. Um, he is currently under investigation for diverting prescription drugs um, to people who did not have prescriptions. There was an FBI Mm -hmm. raid on the team facilities about, uh, it'll be two weeks ago, Friday and his home Mm -hmm. in Virginia. Uh, He's of course been suspended uh, by the team. Uh, They have made it very, very, very clear that this is not a organizational thing. This was a, you know, this was, a Ryan Vermillion thing, uh, but you know between that and the whole entire email saga of last week, with the emails in between uh, John Gruden and Bruce Allen, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. to top it off, they had the ham-handed handling of the Sean Jer- uh, Taylor jersey retirement, which they announced in a tweet on Wednesday before the game that they were going to do this. Um, And like Mm -hmm. nobody from his family was there, nobody from his family spoke, and they kind of boxed that. So it's just been an interesting um, thing. There's no real new developments on that case. We just know like when the federal government, when the FBI and the the DEA go in the Ranger House, they're not doing it because they have spare time, right? They they clearly have some information. And. Well, you know, federal prosecutors have a ninety percent win rate, so if they they mm-hmm. they must think they have something there, so there mm-hmm. is there's a there there. Um, it's just a mm-hmm. matter of how much of that is going to blow back onto the the, uh, the franchise.
4: Well, you know, mm-hmm. there's another sideline story to this too, uh, involving Adam Schefter of ESPN. I understand. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. you know more mm-hmm. about it than I do, but. Uh, supposedly what he was doing, Bruce Allen was his inside guy in the NFL one, or one of them. And what he would do is after he'd get all the information and ready to uh, go on the air with it, he would uh, email it to Bruce Allen to see if this was okay with him before he put it out uh, to public. Did you know anything about, do you know anything about that?
1: Well, uh, yeah,
9: basically what you said is, is right. You know, I think the idea that somebody as high up in the organization as Bruce Allen would be a source for Adam Schefter caught a lot of people by surprise in in that way. But you know, everybody knew that it wasn't a surprise for people down here that he was the source of information for Adam Schefter. And it also shouldn't be a surprise that Adam Schefter mm. would tell him what he was going to say because, you know, he, Adam's in the business of information. He's got the president of operations for the Redskins as his main source in Ashburn. He's not going to try and burn that, so why wouldn't he say, okay, look, I just want to make sure this is what you want. Um, so I'm not surprised by that. I think a lot of people would be like, okay, it kind of that's a conflict of interest, but it didn't surprise, it didn't come as a huge surprise here to anybody here that Bruce was a source of information. I think, again, this has all come out as this 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 rift between Dan Snyder and uh, Bruce Allen. Uh, has become more and more apparent. Uh, it goes back to, uh, I want to say, the summer before last, when the, with the name change and the sale, the minority sale uh, of the owners, and a release in the, in an Indian uh, news site that said, that tried to link Dan Snyder to Jeffrey Epstein. As a result, Jeffrey um, Dan Snyder filed a defamation suit against the owners. And uh, Bruce Allen got caught up in that. So the emails that came out with the Wilkinson report, uh, that, that six, those emails between Bruce Allen and John Gruden were actually part of the filing beforehand. So they've been out there for longer than we've known about it. And a lot of people even believe that it was Dan Snyder who released those emails uh, with, for John Gruden to burn Bruce Allen and John just got caught in the wash.
3: Hmm. Well, let's get back to baseball for a moment, Mike. Uh, first of all, it, uh, Roger, your Atlanta team you're really Atlanta there right now. They're leading four to nothing, and uh, really got off to a great start. And maybe they're going to be able and to take Houston the Dodgers won. out for the first time in a long time.
4: And, and Houston a big took lead care the, the other side. They blew
3: that. at five to two. So we'll, we'll hold off, and we'll tell. Right now, it's four nothing Atlanta. But uh, let's get back to baseball for a second. Uh, What are your observations on the playoffs so far, Mike?
9: Um, It's been interesting. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out that call that ended the uh, Giants-Dodgers series, but I don't ever think I'm going to get the uh, answer to that one. Um, I think the teams left, though, are pretty – seeming to be pretty evenly matched. They look like they're going to be good, entertaining series. You're just waiting for a team to put – everything together as they go through these league championship series to see who's going to end up in the world series. But I think that I can see any one of the four teams remaining uh, in the world series. And uh, if the Washington nationals proved anything, I can see any one of the four teams lead um, remaining winning the world series. I know that'd be a good one for Atlanta who hasn't won a baseball championship since 1996 or no, even before that. Sorry.
3: Right. Roger, getting back to you for a second in Atlanta, as we, uh, as we look at the Atlanta, I, love, I thought during the entire course of the season that the best team in the National League East by far was Atlanta. I thought they were as good a team as any team in the National League, that we didn't see them play the Giants or the Dodgers that many times during the course of the year. But I thought they were the better team, but they didn't perform that way during the regular season. But, boy, have they performed in the playoffs. I mean, they have been outstanding.
4: Roger there?
8: Yeah, he's
4: still oh, there. You lost him? No, I'm no, here. Fine. I'm sorry. The, after, after watching the Houston Astros uh, the last two nights, I got to tell you, that's a heck of a team. And we were talking earlier about guys pitching – the guy today for the Astros pitched into the uh, through the eighth inning, okay, right. and made a big win. And the Braves started really playing up to their expectations towards the end of the year. And you're right, they have. I thought they were going to win that game last night, and they should have, okay. So did but, they did. but they didn't, and uh, now they're they're up four nothing. But uh, I just think that, what uh, it, it, well, Mike, you're, you're exactly right. It's going to be a heck of a World Series, whoever's in.
9: Yeah, all of these teams have strengths. They've shown them over this season. I think that at points in time that Atlanta has looked like world beaters at other points in time. They've played down to the level of their competition. But you could also say that about the, the uh, defending champion Dodgers. You know, where have they been all this season? And they've certainly got – enough arms and enough players to go out there and meet the threat of Atlanta. The same with uh, Boston and, and Houston. I think you got four really good teams left. In Before, the I think All the most interesting
3: thing is uh, two teams, uh, San Francisco, uh, obviously the Los Angeles Dodgers, by far were the winningest teams in baseball this year. The Giants got eliminated in the first round. And right now, if things continue the way they are, the Dodgers will be eliminated in the second round. And it's amazing that the winningest teams during the regular season may not be around to see what happens at the World Series.
9: Yeah, but we've seen that before. I mean, remember that uh, Seattle Mariners team that won all those games lost to the Yankees in the first round. You know, just because you win a bunch of games in the regular season doesn't mean that you're set up to win in the the, uh, postseason because the series get tighter, the bullpens get smaller. You know, when you're playing 162 games, your outlook on a single game is different, whereas when you're playing uh, for your lives in seven games, um, it's, I, I just think there are teams that are built to win in the regular season and teams that are built to win in the postseason.
3: Well, you're right about that, because Seattle set a record for most wins, if you remember, at that particular time, and then lost to the Yankees, and a real surprise in the playoffs. Roger?
4: Yeah. The, uh, the, I'm inter I'm looking right now at, uh, uh, Dodger stadium. Uh, I'd like to know, uh, who the guests are Mary Hart and her husband, Bert Sugarman, uh, tonight uh, sitting right there uh, behind home plate because they are definitely, she and her husband are definitely Dodger fans. Anybody every remember game, every game, Roger, every game, every game. And, uh, Uh, remember the show entertainment tonight uh, for years. And, uh, but uh, I'll tell you the, uh, uh, I've been shocked that the Dodgers uh, haven't uh, performed as well as expected. Like they, I said, we said they came back last night, but they had not performed like uh, they were supposed to. Wouldn't you agree, Don? I mean, you talked about the Dodgers all year.
3: No, I agree with you a hundred percent. I'm amazed that the, uh, but as you look at the playoffs, uh, both in the Giants series and this series, um, the holes have shown up more. Now, we don't have a chance to see the Dodgers and Giants play nearly as much. Uh, only one, one of the teams from uh, New York or Philadelphia or on the West Coast. So we don't have a chance to see them that much. But between the pitching and the overall talent of the Dodgers, most everybody felt that the Dodgers had the most talent the team. But as you watch them play against the Giants and as you watch them play uh, right now against Atlanta, you can see a number of holes where uh, they, you can understand why they're just not winning like they
4: used to. Oh, absolutely. And what, what do you think about that, Mike?
9: I I agree. I, you can see the holes. You can see the shortcomings. I think they tried to address them in the trade market. But I also think that, you know, Sometimes guys get to the po- this point in the season and they're tired, the injuries, and the niggles are starting to show up, and they just can't get that performance that they need uh, late in the year to to, to, to uh, get them through the playoffs.
3: You know, we... But Mike, all, when they made that trade for sure, so I, I thought that was going to be the starting up. point. I thought, you know, and he has fished well in the playoffs, but... I thought he was going to be uh, the, the, the uh, piece of resistance as far as going to get, get to the World Series. It just hasn't worked out that way.
9: Who was that, uh, Don? Scherzer. Um, you know, Scherzer's had a mixed bag in the playoffs, even with the uh, with the Nats. He's had some really good ones, and he's had some really bad ones.
3: Well, I lost um, that one he... game, one nothing, which was a really struggle, but I... You know, I just thought he was going to be. Uh, it, it wasn't the regular season. Uh, he really, on the second half of the year after the uh, after the trade, played excellent. Really, played very, very well for the Dodgers. But uh, in the playoffs, even though he's played well, the Dodgers haven't been able to back him up.
9: And I think that's been that was part of what he was suffering with here in Washington. Was he just wasn't getting the run support? And a lot of times we're sure now. Oh,
2: hold on,
3: fellas. We're out of time. <laughs> this is what Dick really top, went Dick quickly top. tonight. So, Mike, thank you very much. Roger to all our guests. All right. We I'll certainly thank them for joining us. Frank, another great Have a job great behind week. the controls. And we'll all get together again next Wednesday night. Have a great week, everybody, and enjoy the rest of the playoffs and into the World Series.
4: Amen. God bless. Frank, thanks for everything. You just do such a great job and great friend.
2: Thank you very much, Roger. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women Police and Fire Services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please, these are very tough times for everybody in uniform, please acknowledge them. <coughs> these programs are dedicated to those who've lost their lives on the line of duty. Deputy Robert A. Anthony Cowell, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Sergeant Thomas Baker, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz. <clears throat> Sergeant, Tom, uh, Sergeant Detective Randy Bell, Detective Rick Childers. Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department. Uh, Patrolman Charlie Conn at T- Springs Police Department. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant uh, Charlie uh, I'm sorry, Chris Levake. Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Onofa Crispin, Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police Department. Patrolman Josh, I'm oh, Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogel, Wilmington Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, your Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rain fall softly on your face, on your fields, and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hollow of his hands. Good night, and God bless
10: che malek ma yalama che mehzaahir ma sun na she ne again ma So